Let's now turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 1. First Corinthians 1, and we'll start at verse 18. Let's hear the word of the Lord. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers, Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So far the reading of God's word. Beloved in the Lord, God can use a microscopic virus to bring the world to its knees. Now, our current pandemic is, at this moment, nowhere near as virulent as the Black Plague or even the Spanish Flu, yet it has brought the world economy to a halt with both the American and Canadian governments putting out huge stimulus plans. Things we haven't seen in our lifetime. God is demonstrating his power to the world. But in the greatest act of God, God did not choose to use a pandemic. God chose to use the foolishness of the cross of Christ. It's on the cross of Christ where God demonstrated that his foolishness is wiser than the wisest thing that any man might bring to the table. God chose the weak flesh of a mortal man as the vessel that would conquer 
Satan. The church is Christ's body. What God did in Christ should also tell us something about what God is doing through the body that is united to Jesus Christ. And that, in fact, is the, the theme of 1 Corinthians. How does the cross of Christ, the wisdom of the cross of Christ, affect how we, as Christians, are called to bear our cross, as Jesus calls his church to. Even when our weakness is exposed in moments of fear, God continues to use the weakness of his church to accomplish his plans of salvation. He continues to follow the pattern that he gave us in bringing our Lord Jesus Christ into the world. I bring you the word of the Lord under the theme, God chooses the weak things of this world to accomplish his purpose of salvation. In our passage, Paul has only recently addressed the problem of unity. The section ends with Paul directly pointing out the source of unity in the church. Unity is found in preaching the cross of Christ. The problem with the Corinthians is that they're looking to the wisdom of this world to find unity. But Paul says, look to the cross of Christ. Everything we preach, everything we do, must be grounded in the act of triumph, the cross. In verse 18, Paul turns from a call to unity and begins to describe the only division that matters in this world. The Corinthians are dividing along other lines. But Paul wants to emphasize there's only one division that matters. There are many divisions in this world. Black and white, poor and rich, third world and first world, liberals and conservatives, globalists and nationalists. There is only one division that matters. And that is the division that God has drawn. This is the division between those who are perishing and those who are being saved. This is the line that is drawn through the universe between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. When our first parents sinned in the Garden of Eden, God said to the serpent who had deceived our parents, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. The woman is the church. The offspring of the serpent are the men of this world. And this divide even carries through the visible church as well. Not everybody who regularly comes into a church building or is baptized recognizes the cross as the power of God. And Paul's statement here is a warning to the Corinthians. If you, if you find the cross foolish... If you find weakness foolish, can you claim to be saved? If you believe, you will see that the foolishness of the cross is the power of God. 
and at the foolishness of the cross is the power of God, our first desire should not be to chase after the wisdom of the world. Paul is suggesting, if you love the wisdom of this world, perhaps you share a mindset with the world rather than God. The real division between the peoples of the earth is belief and unbelief in the Son of God who died on a bloody cross for our sake. So those who are perishing, those who do not believe, see the cross of the Son of God as folly. They think that the idea that God came and died for me, that's a stupid idea. They say, I have the wisdom, I have the knowledge, I have the power to deal with the problems of the world my way. I am strong and I will find strength in myself. This is the, the boast and the teaching of Friedrich Nietzsche. I will find strength in my will to power in my own wisdom. But to those who are being saved, they truly understand. It's the cross where I find my power. The cross, death, the death of Jesus. They recognize that God has chosen to save them through weakness. Paul tells us that this is intentional on the part of God. God planned this. God did not give us a way that reflected the wisdom of Plato and Aristotle or the wisdom of scientists today. He chose a way that would destroy the wisdom of the wise. That would thwart, we might say, oppose or even subvert the discernment of the discerning. God works in mysterious ways, ways that look foolish according to worldly wisdom. Paul takes that, that quote, that God will destroy the wisdom of the wise, he takes that from Isaiah 29, verse 14. God's promise here is connected to the renewal of Israel and ultimately the renewal of the world. Christ has revealed the means of that renewal in his body, the church. Now Paul asks, where is the one who is wise? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? God sent his son to die on the cross. The son of God died in the flesh. And that defies any projections or planning from the wise men of this world. Now, Paul isn't saying that the wise, these wise men don't exist anymore. They're still there. They think, and they still think that they're wise, and they're looked up to by uh, those who think that they're wise as well. He is saying that they have not recognized the work of God in Christ, and therefore they have demonstrated their own folly. The Christian can no longer recognize the wise as wise 
because they have not understood what God is doing in Jesus Christ. Paul reflects Jesus' words in Luke, where Jesus says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and have revealed them to children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Jesus didn't attract the wise men of the age. He didn't attract the Pharisees, the great theologians of that time, or the Herods and the Herodians, the politicians of that time. He didn't attract the Caesars and the great orators of Greece and Rome. All the wisdom of the ancient Near East was made foolish, foolish in the cross of Christ. Who would have argued that salvation would come through God crucified in the flesh? Now it's helpful to note here that while everybody uses the image of the cross today, at one time it was not so. Even early Christians did not use the cross as a symbol in their churches. And this was because the Greco-Roman world thought of the cross as a symbol of deep shame. Deep shame. It was something that was associated with slavery, and specifically a slave's death. Proudly wearing a cross might be similar to proudly wearing the image of a concentration camp. We would just find that strange and shameful. Paul now demonstrates his point in verse 21. Within the wisdom of God, God did not give the world the wisdom of God through the wise men of the world. We cannot come to God through wisdom. The men of this world could not demonstrate the way to God through wisdom. Buddha does not show us the way to God. Confucius does not show us the way to God. Only Christ can give the way. There is no other way to eternal life with God other than through Jesus. We cannot gain him through the wisdom of this world. Even among the Jews who had, they had the oracles of God, the scriptures of God. They were still blinded to who Jesus was. They still could not guess at the way in which God would bring reconciliation. According to God's will, we cannot know God through earthly wisdom. We need to recognize partly because God wants us to recognize our weakness and our own folly apart from God. Though we may respect the wisdom of those who do not know God, it can only have any value concerning earthly things. Right? We still, we still respect a, a, a mechanic who's not a Christian and understands how to fix our car. But that only has value concerning earthly things. It cannot have any value regarding heavenly things. And it will certainly look like folly when Christ comes to judge the heavens and the earth. Verse 22 
Instead of paying attention to the wisdom of man, God decreed that what looked like folly would be the way to salvation. It pleased God through the folly of what was preached to save those who believe. Every Sunday, we preach in our churches what appears to be folly. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ. We don't begin in our services with positive messages about how good you are. We begin with the horrible situation that you are in. You are separated from your creator. You're full of sin and your thoughts are evil from the time of your birth. So repent and look to Jesus. Jesus covers your sin and he exalts you. He gives you freedom in him because he values you. You may know that you are truly valuable. He calls you a treasured possession in Deuteronomy 7. That news is foolishness to a world that teaches you to find strength in yourself. Paul continues to demonstrate his point in verse 22. He examines what that wisdom looks like to the different groups in Corinth. And he identifies two groups, the Jews and the Greeks. The Jews want a sign. They want to see a great manifestation of power so that they might have proof of Christ. They're looking for power, not the weakness of the cross. And so the cross is a stumbling block to the Jews. They want the God of Psalm 46 who comes to judge the nations. They don't want the God who died on a cross. The Greeks, on the other hand, want wisdom. They want a carefully thought out philosophy of life. They don't want the foolishness of suffering. And we see those desires at work in our culture as well. We see many Christians who are drawn to manifestations of power. They want a church where they, where they see healings and where they see signs of power appear among the congregation. Unfortunately, many want these more than the cross of Christ. We also see the appeal to wisdom today, although we're more likely to call it science. We look to science as the answer to all our questions. The very idea of a God who died and rose again is incredibly silly to science. It doesn't mean we as a church reject science, but that it is renewed, brought into right relationship with Jesus Christ, who is truly the wisdom and power of this world. But to both Jews and Greeks who have heard the word of God, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. We know, if you believe, you know that Christ is our power. Christ is our wisdom. When God works in us the faith necessary, we see that what we once thought was foolishness is wisdom. Christ is the way to true happiness. What we once thought was weak is powerful. The moment of the cross is the moment that Christ crushes the head of Satan. And it's in the cross that the church 
may also crush the head of Satan. You can even see Paul say that in Romans 16, the end of Romans 16. God can show great power. And we see that as he continues to use wars, weather systems, and pandemics to guide the course of world history. But the fact that he used weakness for the sake of power, foolishness for the sake of wisdom, brings far greater glory to his almighty power and wisdom. As Paul says, the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. God reveals himself in what appears as foolishness and weakness, but in that God shows his almighty power and wisdom. That weakness is wiser than anything man can come up with. This proves that the foolishness of the cross is only foolish in light of the wisdom of the world. For those who do not follow the wisdom of the world, it is wisdom and power. And so the division between those who are perishing and those who are being saved is, is deepened. There's enmity between the children of God and the children of this world. Jesus took on the foolishness and the weakness for our sake. And that affects the nature of his body, the church, as well. Paul brings that out now in verse 26. The problem in Corinth is that they are following the patterns of this world. They are dividing according to socioeconomic classes, poor and rich. They are dividing according to personalities. They are lording it over one another as the Gentiles do. They love the wisdom and the philosophies of this world rather than directing themselves to Christ. Paul points out their foolishness in, the, in doing this. He says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise, according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. God delights to call those who have the humility of children into his church. And this reflects the humility of Christ himself in obeying his heavenly Father. Paul says, but God chose what is foolish in the world. Think about that. God chose us. God chose our weakness and foolishness to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame, <clears throat> to shame the powerful. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. The reason so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. No man may boast in bringing about his own salvation. It is in Christ and only in the cross of Christ that we are saved. And we who are in Christ bear that cross. But bearing that cross is not done merely for its own sake. There's a goal in mind. 
Christ became foolishness. He became weak so that he might have victory over sin, death, and hell. And that's what Paul now brings in in verse 30. And because of him, that is God, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Christ is now at the right hand of God. And we don't only share in the cross, but in all his good gifts, we're connected to our flesh in heaven. That means that whatever suffering we have on this earth, whatever weakness or, or the appearance of folly, the, whatever mocking may come from this world, we have the promise of a crown at the end of our time on earth. God will exalt us in Christ. And ultimately, recognizing our weakness, the fact of a, that many of us are not wise according to worldly standards, and further recognizing that none of us are wise or strong according to divine standards, we know that every good thing we possess, wisdom, power, speech, are from Christ and his Spirit. So even if we're part of that small section who do appear wise in the sight of this world, that too comes from God. So we do not boast in ourselves, we boast in the Lord. The message here is quite clear. We often think that in order to bring the light of the gospel, we need <clears throat> big programs, dynamic speakers, great pastors, and great planning. While these things play a part in our efforts to shine the light of the gospel, they are not essential to the work of the gospel. At the heart of the church constantly is this message of the cross of Christ. At its heart, the question is not of one of great wisdom and eloquence, but is one of belief. Do you hear the word of the cross of Christ? Do you boast in the Lord? Or do you trust in your own efforts? Do you boast in your own understanding? Do you boast in your own power? It's interesting, as we've already noted, that the Lord points to wisdom and to signs of power as things that distract from the cross of Christ, that cause us to question the cross of Christ. Although we have different ways of <clears throat> defining or understanding wisdom and power today, we can see that these continue to exert an attraction on the people of God. The world continues to offer alternatives to the cross of Christ. And the world continues to view the cross of Christ as foolishness and weakness. I've heard it directly from some who were more honest in their unbelief. They'll say, if I rely on Christ, I'm accepting my own weakness. I think I'm stronger if I rely on myself. The problem is, we are created to rely on God. 
we're created to rely on something other than ourselves. And if you examine this type of person's self-confidence, you will find holes in their self-reliance. Ultimately, the goal of self fails the self. Sorry, the God of self fails the self. Unfortunately, the wisdom of the world continues to find its way in the church. Arguably, even our own uh, background, generally speaking, the Reformed Church over the last century or two has been bad in this regard. Especially in the face of scientific discovery, Reformed ministers have compromised again and again on the questions surrounding Genesis 1 and the historicity of Scripture. Although many do not leave the faith, they begin to build on a shakier foundation, a foundation that combines the wisdom of the world with the wisdom of God in Jesus Christ. God warns in 1 Corinthians 3 that he will test the work of every minister of the word to find what type of materials they have used to build up the house of God. Some will have all or most of their work burned up and receive, and yet still receive this kingdom, so to speak, by the skin of their teeth. We must be careful to make the wisdom of God our food and drink. Likewise with signs, the church has always been distracted by signs and wonders. And that desire for signs and wonders is found among us as well. It is not that God does not continue to use signs or healings within his will. But these are not the point of the gospel. The word of the church is the word of the cross. It is a word of suffering and shame. Glory is coming. But if we focus on the glory and the power now, we may lose that coming glory. And especially here, we can think of the health and wealth gospel. It's diametrically opposed to what Paul is teaching here. Health and wealth gospel is the teaching that God wants his children to be healthy and wealthy throughout their lives. Now, although it is true that God wants what is good for his children... This is not necessarily accomplished through health and wealth. As we have seen, God wants to use suffering for the sake of his kingdom. Further, within God's plan, it is through the suffering of his son and those in his son that he continues to spread the gospel. It's through our weakness that God continues to reach out to those who are weak and despised by this world. Even though we reject the health and wealth gospel in our churches, it's an easy attitude to begin to have in our affluent society. We begin to count our blessings in terms of how much wealth we have. We can begin to count those who are healthy and wealthy as spiritually more advanced than those who are not. We must remember again that these are free gifts of God. They are not 
earned. God is free to use your illnesses, your depression, your financial trouble, your weaknesses for the sake of the gospel. He used Paul, a man who was attacked and vilified everywhere he went. He delights to do so, for in so doing, he continues his work of renewing us in the image of Christ. We do not seek out this suffering, but God uses it for our transformation and for the sake of his kingdom. As Paul argues, if we have any boast, we have a boast in the Lord. My wisdom, my righteousness, my redemption, they're found in Christ, the Christ who lives in me, the Christ who is bringing about the new me, the true me. They come from a Lord who loves his church and who even loves me. God works in me so that, like Christ, I may overcome and receive a crown of life from his hand. All glory be to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's stand and sing together from hymn 78. We'll sing verses 1 and 3, 4, and 5.